Hump Day, Oregon. I'm Finn J.D. John, FJ at OffbeatOregon.com, and this is the Daily Offbeat Oregon History Podcast. It's Wednesday, so this is an archive show, but it last aired two to ten years ago, so unless you're a hardcore, long-time listener, it's probably new to you. Thanks for downloading, and I hope you enjoy it. This story was first published on August 31st of 2014 under the headline, Arrow Daredevil Forged His Reputation with Portland's Stunt. Here we go. On June 8th, 1912, the streets and parapets of downtown Portland were thronged with about 50,000 people craning their necks at the roof of the Multnomah Hotel. Atop the roof of the ten-story building, arranged at the end of a tiny 150-foot-long strip of overlapping 20-foot planks, stood one of the spindly box-kite-like contraptions that were still the -the state-of-the-art in aircraft design at the time. The Portlanders were there to watch something that had never been done before, anywhere. And it was about to happen right before their eyes, here in their little almost-frontier city of Portland, Oregon. Local aviator Silas Christofferson was about to launch his aeroplane from that tiny landing strip on the roof of a building right smack in the middle of downtown Stumptown. Quote, This is an age of do it first, Christofferson explained when asked why he was risking his neck on such a cockeyed scheme. Be original, don't copy. When a feat has once been performed, the people tire of it and expect the next performer to give something entirely new. This is the only reason I have decided to make a flight from the top of the Multnomah Hotel Tuesday afternoon. It will be the first exhibition of its kind in the history of aviation. The history of aviation at that time was full of unplowed ground. As a practical matter, it had started just nine years before, when the Wright brothers launched an aircraft not much different from Christofferson's from a dune in South Carolina. At that time, Christofferson had been a lad of 13, living with his family in California. Not much is known about his teenage years. Like so many early pilots, he didn't live long enough to tell many people about them. But he must have been powerfully affected by the nation's growing interest in aviation. He was especially excited when he saw an exhibition flight by legendary French pilot Hubert Latham in California, probably in 1909. Latham, or probably Latam, had a long string of firsts to his credit. First attempt across the English Channel, first person to smoke a cigarette in flight, first to shoot a duck from a flying airplane, first successful landing on water. Latham probably impressed upon young Christofferson not only the romance of aviation, but the do-it-first imperative as well. The following year, at the age of 20, Christofferson moved to Portland to take a job working on those other modern wonders of the new age, automobiles. Christofferson went to work for F.A. Bennett, an early automobile dealer who had the franchise for a variety of marks, Renault, Ford, Rio, and several more. Bennett also had an interest in all sorts of motoring, from powerboats to aircraft. Christofferson could not have found a more congenial boss. And that was especially the case after Christofferson had won the Rose Festival Auto Race in 1910 and again in 1911, followed by the Pacific Coast Championship in Motorboat Racing in the 25-foot class, also in 1911. By that time, Portland had taken notice of the dashing young man and was proud to call young Silas its own. 
and happily for Silas, so was F.A. Bennett. This was the age of the airplane exhibition, when the entire concept of a person flying through the air was so new that huge crowds would turn out just to watch someone take off and land again. And indeed, just doing this was dangerous enough. Aeronautical engineering was not yet a science. It was still an art. And that art was being refined into a science through a million errors, small errors and large ones, inconsequential errors and fatal ones. Flying was a job that required nearly instinctive reactions to keep the ship under control, and the control systems had not yet been standardized into the familiar stick-and-rudder form of modern aviation. Make the wrong move at the wrong moment, and it was all over. Many pilots had already died. Many more would soon. Christofferson had come of age toward the end of this era, an era in which airplane design was starting to coalesce into something approximating safety, when exhibition flyers were having to do more and more dangerous stunts to attract public attention. With the enthusiastic backing of Bennett, Christofferson had returned to California to take flying lessons in a Curtis pusher plane. Then, upon his return to Portland, he and his brother Harry built one like it and started flying it around from Portland to Vancouver. In the process, Silas found a sporting girl named Emma Becker who accompanied him on many of these flights and soon became his wife. Which brings us to that spectacular event in June of 1912, when Christofferson started up his engine, pointed the spindly pusher plane at the end of the tiny bumpy runway, and opened the throttle wide. Doubtless the crowd had cleared the streets in front of the hotel, half expecting the young daredevil to come crashing to the ground in a tangle of cables and broken sticks and fabric and flesh and bone, but it didn't happen. The boxy, kite-like contraption lifted off the roof, soared into the sky, and disappeared in the direction of Vancouver, where Christofferson landed in triumph, no doubt eager to celebrate with his soon-to-be wife, and perhaps later in the evening to see some of the photographs that had been taken of the event. Well, the stunt made Christofferson famous, and he was soon making flights all over the state. His next trick involved flying his rickety airplane under three Portland bridges, skimming low over the river before landing on its surface. He'd outfitted his plane with floats. Christofferson later moved to Coos Bay, where he offered locals flights over the bay, and at one point tried to save the crew of a capsized schooner by landing on the water, which, if it had been successful alas it was not, would have been another do-it-first event in his life. The following year, Christofferson moved to Redwood City, California, where he opened a flying school. No doubt he was eager, now that he was a married man, to dial back the danger level a little. Unfortunately, though, this did not work. In 1916, testing out a new biplane at the flying school, his instincts tuned for a different airplane control system, one in which the elevators were controlled with the arms rather than the legs, failed him. Based on news reports, it appears that at a critical moment he was trying to drop the nose of the plane to prevent a stall, but used the wrong controls to do so. The plane went into the stall, 200 feet above the ground. His wife rushed out onto the airfield where the broken and dying Silas managed to gasp out an explanation of what had happened and to say goodbye. A few hours later, in a local hospital, he died. Key sources in this story have included works by Patrick Harris, Ken Scott, and the archives of Popular Mechanics magazine. 
Well, that's our show for today. Thanks again for listening, and I hope you enjoyed it. This podcast is part of Offbeat Oregon History, a public history resource for the state we love, which is in turn a division of Pulplet Productions, a boutique publishing house that specializes in audiobook and regular book editions of stories from the classic pulp fiction era. Robert E. Howard, Algernon Blackwood, Edgar Rice Burroughs, and so on. More info can be found at pulp-lit.com. This podcast is covered under a Creative Commons license, type CC by SA International 4.0. Our theme music is by the Atlas String Band and was written by Carmen Ficara. Listen and download more at atlasstringband.com. Got an idea for a show I should do, or just want to say hi, or maybe you're going to be in Corvallis sometime soon with time for a cup of coffee or a pint of Hammerhead? Drop me a line at fj at offbeatoregon.com. Fresh episodes of Offbeat Oregon History come your way at around 6 a.m. every weekday morning. So if you're looking for the next one, you haven't long to wait. Till then, go fill up the rest of the day with good stuff. Bye now. (laughs) ¶¶